we're still at this sort of very early stage of, on the one hand, enormous short-term excitement. On the other, like, you know, we're a long way from being able to build Facebook on this thing. And what would that mean? Welcome to Cut to the Crypto, brought to you by Unstoppable Domains. I'm Tony Karen Brown, and I'm your host. This is a show for the curious minds with big questions about crypto, but who aren't quite crypto experts yet. Each week, I pick a question and connect with an expert who can help provide an answer for us. This is your 15 minutes of crypto, asked and answered. Hi, today I am joined by a dear friend of mine and co-host, tech analyst, Benedict Evans. Benedict, welcome. Hello. It's good to have you in a proper interview setting this time. So like many people who are in tech or who are actively thinking about the future of technology or the upcoming trends that we should be paying attention to, crypto and Web3 are obviously very top of mind this year. They were already last year as well. But I think this year, it seems to be like everywhere you look, people are talking about Web3 and crypto. But there seems to be little consensus as to how we should be thinking or how to think about these topics and specifically how to think about them in a way that's relevant today or in two to three years versus the big, bold, 10-year, down-the-line, big predictions and vision. And you and I often talk about it, that anytime a new technology or new platform comes along, we need to go beyond the hype and beyond the excitement and get an understanding of how this can be used by real people in the everyday life. So my question to you is somewhat twofold, but in a recent essay of yours, you mentioned that almost everything in crypto right now is a question, which I kind of love because this is the theme of this podcast. But you also point out that most of your crypto questions as a tech analyst, the ones that are top of mind for you, are not the ifs of crypto or the what's of crypto, but rather the where. And so my question to you is, why is the where of crypto so important to you in 2022? That sounds like a very zen question, the where of crypto. (laughs) The where of crypto. Two ways of answering this. The first is that sort of when new transformative technologies come along, what tends to happen is they begin by finding white space. So you do not immediately use the new thing to replicate the old thing. You know, Microsoft didn't make mainframes. Microsoft didn't try and make mainframes. You know, you, making Microsoft Office on the web you know, didn't work for 10 years, 15 years. And generally what actually you do is you make some new thing that, that is only possible because of this new platform. And then, you know, 5, 10, 15 years later, you know, this new platform, this new substrate has become so much more capable that it can go and do all the stuff that you were doing with the old thing as well. So to put it very crudely, I'm not interested in somebody trying to make another make a copy of Twitter, but on Web3. Uh, it's more interesting to think, well, what would you do if you create something that was sort of actually native to these structures? And, you know, sort of a naive answer is we'll make something about music, say, you know, we make NFTs, you know, stuff was actually where it matters that it's on crypto and that as opposed to kind of making a crap copy of crypto, but on this, on this, on this Web3 thing. And so that's one kind of where question. The other kind of a where question, which is actually what I was thinking about when I wrote this, was that I think Web3 is really open source 2.0. In many ways, it is, you know, open source one is, you know, anyone can write the code in this open, distributed, federated, decentralized way, but it still runs inside a company or inside software and you can't see it as it runs. Whereas the whole concept of a blockchain being a distributed open computer is basically that not only can anyone write the code, but anyone can see the code running. So it's kind of transparent and composable as well as it runs. So you can see the application running. You can see the Twitter or the Instagram that you built on this thing running as it, as it works. So then the kind of the question is, well, sort of, if one thinks about what actually happened with open source, the iPhone is full of open source, but it's not open source. 
and yet it has millions of apps and billions of downloads. So what does it mean to say that? It, what would it mean to say that it's not open? Microsoft bought GitHub. Meanwhile, everyone who still uses Office 365 and Windows. So what layers in the stack does this get used in? Which parts of the space horizontally and vertically? Which parts, which industries, which spaces does it where are the white spaces where you can create something new? Because in the sake of for the sake of argument, in ten or fifteen years' time, if everything goes to plan, yes, you could go and make Instagram and Facebook on this. But in the meantime, like where and how does it get deployed? And I think the kind of the other sort of big set of questions which I think about a lot are how does this get easy? And does getting easy break it? Because normally, you know, any new technology starts and it's very simple and then you need to be very technical to do anything with it. Like the first PCs in the mid seventies, you had really had to be hard. They came as a kit. You needed a screwdriver and a soldering iron to put them together. That what then happens is they actually get much more complicated. You know, think of PCs in the mid eighties. If you add like sound cards and graphics cards and, you know, network that came later. You know, you add all sorts of stuff to it. And that's sort of what's happening now with crypto is people add all sorts of stuff on top and, you know, it's become massively more complicated to understand what's going on. And then there's like a kind of a bell curve in that it gets simpler again because that all gets abstracted away. And you get the operating system and you don't need to know what your sound card is, Windows works it out for you and, and, and so on. And that's also what happened with the internet. You know, that you just install Netscape. It gets it gets a lot it gets a lot simpler. As it gets simpler, more people can come on. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge is with crypto is so much of the complexity that you need to abstract away is actually the reason why it's interesting. You know, you have, can get to the bare metal and you can control it and you own it and you can install something that can do anything. And like to put it in sort of very simple terms, like Anybody can write a smart contract that can interact with anything else on any blockchain. Sorry, that's a very simplistic way of putting it. And that's tremendously powerful, but it means that you sent me this app to install. And if I click the wrong thing, it might steal all my money, not like, and like my house or my money, like everything. If I haven't spotted the right comma in the, and the right semicolon in the right line of code. So how do you abstract that kind of stuff away? so that you can just be a normal person and not have to worry about reading the code to use it without that creating gatekeepers who control everything. Because the obvious way that you abstract that away is you say, well, you know, I hand over control to some company and to Apple and they, they worry about it for me and I just use the app. But if the whole point of using the app is that it's open, it's like there's a paradox in that. How is it that you get the ease of use without giving up that control if the control is the whole point? I don't know. That's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, there's one answer, which is the sort of the great sort of religious war in tech is no, no, you should want to control to get to the, the bare iron. You should want to get to the raw metal. But there's always this pendulum in tech, which is the new thing comes and you can get to the raw metal, the bare metal, and then you build all this stuff on top. And the people who like getting to the bare metal are really angry and think this is evil and terrible. But the truth is, the only reason that lots of people have a smartphone is that you don't have to know all this stuff. The only reason that lots of people have a car is that you don't have to change your spark plug yourself. You have to have that ease of use. You can't expect people to memorize a passphrase and you can't expect people to read the smart contract. You can't expect people to have to learn InfoSec in order to use the internet. You can't rebuild a social media platform on the basis that if you click the right thing, you might lose all your money. How do you build an abstraction layer in between that? So that's the sort of the where and the when and the how kind of a question that I puzzle about. As you think about all of this, 
Is the if still relevant to you? Is the if of crypto even a question? Or is that just, is it just it's not interesting to you right now? Or is it that it's here and it's here to stay in your opinion? Or it's here to be not just to stay in that we're obviously all going to use it, but it's here and it's an interesting piece of technology that everyone is already diving into and digging into in one way, shape or form. Well, I'm in a very small minority in that I'm a crypto centralist in that I don't think this is going to replace government and trade unions and media companies and, you know, Google and Facebook and Apple and Microsoft and everything else. I also don't think it's all a giant Ponzi scheme that will never work. I mean, every now and then, you know, there's this big kind of essay by a co-founder of NVIDIA that's going viral at the moment, which explains all the reasons why it doesn't work now. And I'm like, well, yes, but that doesn't tell us anything very much. This doesn't have much predictive value unless you have a really strong theory as to why it can't get any better. And this essay doesn't really go into that at all. So I'm not sort of so much interested in the if. The challenge is more, in a sense, there's, there's most technologies don't really have an if. They have a how big and a what. So, you know, 3D printing is a really fantastically cool technology. It turned out it really doesn't have a consumer use case. Drones are the same. You know, there was a period when everyone got a drone for Christmas and, you know, three days later it's back, it's in the cupboard and you realize it's not really a consumer use case for a drone. Like, it's very cool, but after three days, like, okay, I've seen the roof of my house now. And now what? It's still in that gimmicky, yeah, side of things, yeah. There's an important distinction here because the answer to that is not more Moore's law, it'll get better. The, the answer is no, actually, there just isn't a consumer use case for that. You know, it doesn't matter if it gets better. That, but the problem isn't that it doesn't work. It works fine, but I've got no use for it. Which is also, there's an, it fascinates me at the moment, is talking about games consoles. Because games consoles now, obviously, have had sort of 30 or 40 years of Moore's Law, 30 years of Moore's Law. There's still a niche product. You know, 200 million people have a games console, which is you know, not a small thing, but you know, it's a smaller than Snapchat. That's not going to change with another 30 years of Moore's Law. You know, that's a narrow use case. Drones are a narrow use case. 3D printing is a narrow use case. And so you have this sort of puzzle of like, there's all sorts of different sizes of success. And so to the turn of the crypto point, you know, yes, theoretically, this might be the internet 2.0 and, you know, essentially everything we use might be built on this, which is sort of what's happening with cloud. Although bear in mind that only sort of 20, 25% of enterprise workloads have moved to the cloud so far, even though like everyone in tech would agree the cloud is the future, but it still takes up a long time. With crypto, again, okay, this might be the next cloud, the next open source, the next, you know, universal platform that everything gets built on. A, that'll take 30 years. Like it'll take 10 years before you can do anything with it and 20 years before everything's moved. And B, what does everything mean? Does everything mean like really everything? Because that's not what happened with PCs or the web or smartphones or open source. Hence, back to your opening question, what do I mean by where? Like which layers, which components? I go back to the piece that you were explaining, which I think is where my head is at right now, is what makes it really fascinating, what makes the space really interesting is the complexity and the possibilities but it does mean that the barrier to entry is really not low. It does mean that like someone like myself, I, and this is the reason for starting this podcast is where do I start? What does it look like? And how am I supposed to understand this? And where should I be focusing my time and my energy if I want to start to understand crypto? You know, I started looking at crypto when I joined Andrews and Horowitz in 2014, which was not remotely at the beginning, moderately early, you know, and I sort of looked at it and I thought when that, at that stage, it was just Bitcoin, really. I, the challenge I've always had is there's a sort of separation between, on the one hand, very, very technical questions within like the, the technical architecture of how this works. 
which are only interesting to very, very, very technical people. And, you know, I can't add anything to that argument anyway. And on the other hand, you know, very, very high level sort of imagine if you could run a country on crypto, right? what would that be like? And I'm not good at those kind of questions. I'm much better at the kind of questions in the middle of, you know, what will this actually mean? You know, what businesses get created with this? And we're just sort of now at the point of breaking through the middle from, you know, the very, very technical arguments on the one side and the very, very abstract you know, statements of ideology on the other through to the middle, which means that the questions are becoming more interesting. But there are still questions of where, like, we don't know. I mean, it's like talking about the mobile internet in 2000. Will everyone have a mobile internet? Would most people have, like, a flip phone and some people have, like, a PDA? You know, who will be paying for the bandwidth? Because the bandwidth will be expensive. I mean, and then in 2000, we really hadn't made the mental leap to thinking at some point in the future, bandwidth will basically be unlimited. Like mobile bandwidth, you will not be being charged per megabyte and therefore stuff will change. But in 2000, that was 10 years away. So we're still at this sort of very early stage of, on the one hand, enormous short-term excitement. On the other, like, you know, we're a long way from being able to build Facebook on this thing. And what would that mean? That feels like a great place to end in just that reminding ourselves of just how early we are in this whole innovation and with this whole technology, that it is very early to be asking these questions. And it's normal that it feels like this isn't a thing that I'm going to adopt tomorrow and use on it on a daily basis. Well, thank you for sharing all of your knowledge, Benedict, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you for sticking around to the end and I hope you enjoyed today's guests as much as I did. If you've got big crypto questions, send them our way and we'll attempt to get them answered for you. And for the more seasoned crypto investors and enthusiasts, do go check out our weekly podcast, The Unstoppable Podcast, to learn more about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs and the decentralized web. 